There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on the 20th of April 2010. I always suggest that the newcomers to the show should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of talks I've given over the past years and you can download them for free. That's the what people think is awfully good these days. Everything is supposedly free. And you can also look into uh, one of the sites there listed on the front page called Alan Watts Sentient Sentinel.eu. That's a European site. has all the same audios as the rest that are listed there, but it has the addition of transcripts. And you can choose to from the various languages of Europe. Uh, print them up, pass them around to your friends. And those ones that see in the front page of CuttingThroughMeters.com are the official sites. And I always tell you, the audience, if you're newcomers, that you bring me to you. I don't go to the sponsors. I don't go to advertisers to back me up here. The ads on the show that you hear are paid by re- directly to RBN by the advertisers themselves. That pays for the airtime, pays for the staff at RBN, pays for the transmission, their bills, and so on. So it's up to you to keep me going, and you can do so by going into the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Uh, seeing the books that I have for sale, look them up, your CDs, DVDs, and so on, that makes me just tick along, because the bills even here are heavy. This isn't a one-hour-per-night uh, show. Uh, this Even uploading this after the show will take hours on satellite speed, basically. And during the day, I've got so much more to do as well with answering various uh, quandaries uh, that people send me with their emails and all the rest of it. So it's not a what you call a job. If it was a job, I'd be doing something a lot more easier and something that would pay me. But I do depend on you to keep me going. Now remember, if you want to order books from the U.S. to Canada, personal check is good. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office if you want. PayPal is okay for donations and for payment for books. Just send me a donation through the PayPal button and a separate email with your order, and I'll get it out to you. Western Union is good too, MoneyGram. Some people just send cash. Same idea across the rest of the world. It's Western Union, cash, MoneyGram, or PayPal. It's up to you how you want to do it. But as I say, don't just skip over this, as, as always most folk do for the first few minutes because they don't want to hear uh, this kind of stuff. They want, to, they, want, they want information they want to show, but they don't want to help out. And that's the nature of society today pretty well the world over. That's just the way it is. And one day you'll, you'll tune in and I simply won't be here. I've heard lots in the past uh, that that's happened to. I've listened to people for many, many years uh, trying to go this particular route without taking on advertising and pushing sponsors and they generally go the way of the dodo bird, and people, as I say, they'll pay and pay to be excited. They'll pay for fantasy mixed with truth. 
they'll pay with, for out-of-body experiences and all the rest of it. But when it comes to getting the, the stuff that might save their lives or change society for the better, for their own survival, uh, it's a different story. It doesn't titillate them enough. It's not so exciting. And they want excitement because we live in a, in a society that's been constantly bombarded. They've grown up on entertainment. Entertainment. So much so they can't tell fact from fiction. And those who get the disburned and passed to them, and lots of people do get them passed to them, they don't play them on computer, they play them on CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, and the number 1. Well, we've all heard about the New World Order from uh, presidents and prime ministers uh, via the major media that have shown this on television and printed it in their own papers. It's an interesting term, the New World Order. It's been used by many people right through the 20th century, especially even before then as well, by different uh, societies. What does it really mean? We'll go into a little bit of it when we come back from this break. and we're cutting through the matrix. The New World Order was mentioned by George Bush Sr. back in 1990. Many people before have used it. Adolf Hitler used it. Lenin used it. Uh, Marx used it. Um, even Napoleon referred to it too uh, when he tried to bring in his, his code across the whole of Europe. And it's really a, a, a planned society. I suppose it boils down to as a planned society a society planned by population, a required population only, uh, a society where experts will rule. And even in Napoleon's days, scientists were taking up uh, a lot of the, the slack left over from the destruction of the, the religions of that time. Uh, all of the media in the 1800s, 1700s and the 1800s kept pushing the scientific discoveries and uh, painting a, a wonderful view of the world high-tech sort of vision of the future back then even, and trying to really replace uh, the old religion which gave deities for creating everything uh, with science instead as he broke down biology and dissected everything that crawled, walked, or flew. Uh, And that was also why they brought Charles Darwin out. And out of that came eugenics, of course, and eugenics was a great thing to, to bolster the confidence and the arrogance of those who already ruled countries because it talked about survival of the fittest, survival of the fittest. And those who already ruled in Darwin's day decided, well, obviously, since they were at the top of the tree, uh, they were the fittest. And they, t- they, they really started to categorize different kinds of humans. Uh, out of that came horrible scenarios with to do with eugenics and eventually we had ended up uh, falling into Nazism. Nazism really copied the Soviet system that was heavily into eugenics as well, which had all borrowed from the British London idea. 
and uh, started to take down populations. They didn't want crippled people, for instance, being a burden on society. The, the hygienically unfit, as they called, a whole class of people, different classes, actually different classes of people, including different ethnicities too. And as I say, it falls into a planned society where those with the sciences, the education, academia, they should really rule in this brave new world that they'd come up with. Uh, nothing has changed from, from there on. It's been hailed as, as the only way to go and is tied completely, is bound up completely with modern economics. Uh, Malthus, for instance, was one of the, the guys who promoted the idea of first killing off the unfit. And Malthus worked for the, uh, the big British economic um, uh, corporations of his day and an advisor to the crown. People don't realize it, that, that uh, Britain, Britain really was a, or, or, really was a front. The, the nation of Britain was a front. The government of Britain was a front for corporations. And in fact, that's really what Britain is. It's a corporation. All countries really are corporations, signed into law as corporations. But it was a, a front that, that used the public, the general public, uh, for recruitment for military and for navy to go across the world and conquer other peoples, get to the resources for the private corporations that followed quickly behind them, and uh, and also use the taxpayers' money via the military uh, and the sappers, they call them, the engineering units of the military, who built bridges, railway lines and all that to get all the stuff back home or wherever it was going. So the taxpayer funded everything under the guise of nationalism and waving the flag, and, 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 and taming, uh, wild people, you see, the heathen, as it called it, and uh, bringing civilization, something that the Romans themselves had used as they went across the world, the ancient world, uh, conquering peoples, bringing civilization. Civilization is a big key. And what even ancient civilizations did too was to get everybody on a monetary system. That's the key to everything, a monetary system. Then they can tax it back from you. Uh, train a whole generation to believe in it, then their offspring think it's all natural. You don't hunt for food anymore. You actually work for money, and you pay so much of that back in taxation. The ancients were famous for creating big building projects, as you know, wherever they went. The Romans built roads everywhere, straight roads, very straight. A lot of manpower went into it, and they also borrowed money from international money lenders of their day, well documented in ancient uh, ancient history books, and uh, again, economics is bound up with enterprise, like conquest and profits and population size and all the rest of it. Sometimes they'd go into countries in ancient times and conquer them, and there weren't enough people. There weren't enough people uh, to to work all the projects that they had planned, so they have to import other ones from abroad. Slaves. So whole populations were often moved around to satisfy the system. And you'll find that uh, since really the introduction of money as we know it, and the first coins apparently were minted about 800-odd BC. Before that, they used uh, silver and sometimes gold. Silver was the main currency, but they weighed it out. It was had to be weighed and often the person who had the cash uh, literally wound it around his arm like a bracelet, like a long serpent, very soft metals, and they could just cut little bits off when they wanted to pay for something, have it weighed, 
uh, and so on. But it's, it's so interesting, really, that it's a substitute for many, many things. It's also a substitute for freedom as well, where you go into the world to take a risk and survive. It kind of negates that. You're, everyone's forced into the one system that they, that's been ordained by those mainly who owned the gold or the, or the silver of their time. Today is just print, print, printing presses in central banks. That's all it is. Even the Bank of Canada is, is the same as the U.S. The Bank of Canada uh, is actually a, a, a floor in a building. It's not in any of the blue pages in the, in the phone book where all the government offices are listed. It's absent. It's a floor where really representatives from the government meet with representatives from the international moneylenders, and that's where they hammer out their deals. And that's been, this is from documentaries the CBC's even had on TV years ago. But isn't it amazing that very few people know anything about money or its history or, or new world orders, old world orders, etc. And, uh, and yet we're all, we all have to work and use this money. Money hires armies, it hires, it, it hires police, it hires uh, all the characters who keep you in your place, in other words. And what this gets into is a new world order. What was the old world order? The old world order was really uh, a system where priests and religions controlled millions of people, peoples in different countries. They gave you your whole entire reality. Everything that you would base uh, your opinions on, your thoughts on, was, was really founded on the particular religion you were given. Plato did an excellent... Uh, Analogy with the cave. We're talking about people who brought born and brought up in a cave and they couldn't turn around to see the light at the entrance of the cave. And uh, they, they made up a whole philosophy of what life was uh, and what all these shadows were from people outside the cave passing or the sun passing it because they couldn't turn around and see the sun passing the mouth of the cave. So they made up all these theories as to what it really meant. It was all fake, of course. It never dawned on them either that it was anything outside their cave. But everything had to relate somehow to the cave. And that's what, how religion works for, for many, many, many centuries. Today it's been taken over by academia, but not any old academia. It's academia that all works together. Again, and everything becomes standardized eventually. And all the sciences, as they call them, start to interact with each other. And they, they hammer out common doctrines, just like uh, theology, basically. And they all believe, all the sciences truly believe in the idea of Darwin. And Darwin was put out there by the Royal Society to literally bring in this kind of thinking and order. And part of it too, obviously, right away, right off the, off the bat, what it did was to devalue a lot of human life. Many of his proponents uh, ended up in high positions for governments across the world, even in the United Nations eventually when it was created. You find Julian Huxley talking about the need to dethrone humanity from its pedestal of thinking that it was the most supreme thing on the planet, creature on the planet. Dethrone it, dehumanize it too, because they had to bring in a mass depopulation and get us used to it. Man's just another animal, get used to us being butchered, you might say. And we have become completely used to seeing things on television and little clips or shows from, from newsreels to do with mass bombings and, and slaughters 
and oops when they bomb wedding parties in Iraq and stuff like that. And we think nothing of it. We become completely desensitized to our empathy that we should have towards other people. Because, believe you me, what happens to others definitely can happen to you. And that's a message that the passive viewers never, ever realize, never come to. As I say, your religions gave you your complete reality. Today, it's the same thing, the scientifically created reality. We've all been born into it. We've all had a standardized education, so you can go to anywhere across the world where they've had a UNESCO-type education, and you can all relate to each other, and your ideas will all be much the same because you've had a standardized way of looking at everything. An education brings you to conclusions. You bring your what you think are your reasoning uh, to the fore uh, to figure out problems. It never dawns on you, you work like a computer, and those that program you can bring you to your conclusions. That's what people think sanity is today. Back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix talking about uh, really a sort of paradigm shifts between the ages, but really using the same techniques over and over again. Um, countries being corporations down through the many, many, many centuries, uh, under various guises, kingdoms and uh, uh, governments, um, tyrannies even, dictatorships, it's all much the same. Uh, really, when you look at it, because it's completely combined or intertwined with economics and population size and really keeping uh, a small, relatively small group at the top, uh, living very, very well off all of those at the bottom. But the trick lies in, in convincing the public down below that are going to staff their armies for them and go off and do their conquests for them. The trick lies in making them very patriotic. And that's, that's actually a science to the creation of patriotism. Very well established science, which they knew even in ancient times. Rome knew how to do it and how to even take countries over and then recruit people within those countries to be part of the, the Roman army, but under their own particular country's garrison. For instance, those who occupied Britain for, for Rome often were from the Germanic tribes, for example. Britain did the same thing when it uh, controlled India. It had the sepoys and different uh, uh, cavalry units made up of people from India themselves. And they were just as fiercely loyal to Britain as someone born in Britain. Because there's a technique to instilling this kind of uh, um, patriotism and pride, the creation of a a form of pride and brotherhood, of course, in military, uh, anywhere you go. Old techniques. The United Nations wants to eventually have its own army. Technically, it has it when uh, the people in different countries, different soldiers, swap their black berets or whatever they're wearing for their blue one for a stint at wherever they're going to, to, to work for the, for the UN, and then they pop their black one back on afterwards when they're home. It's, uh, it's like musical chairs, in a sense, and they see no dilemma with that at all. You can literally do anything you want with human society, when you know the techniques, and there are techniques for every everything, everything. How to present anything and convince the public of anything. And the best control groups are those who are already controlled, they've had their minds conditioned in what they call fraternal, fraternities or organizations. 
like the military or the police. They're already geared for it. So it's no big deal to, to, to change something one way or another. They, they adapt very, very quickly, as long as they all adapt at the same time. And, of course, they're ordered to. But again, getting back to what I'm saying, down through the ages, the, the money elite traveled from place to place. As, as empires went down, they would move before it happened. They would do the moves before it happened. In fact, those, that's part of the reason empires used to collapse is when the money elite moved out. It might take 20, 30, 40 years to set up bases elsewhere, and that would become their new center for a while. And we saw that happening down through the many centuries. As it went down through, through into Europe uh, and into Holland for a while, that became the capital for trade, and then it lined up in, in Britain or England. And from there, it went over to the United States. Now, the elite, of course, can go anywhere, uh, and they don't even have to go physically. They can do all of their banking, their investments uh, electronically from wherever they happen to be. But there's no doubt at all, they, they, they do set up safe places for themselves, always for the future. And we see that happening in the super cities that are being built and have been built for quite some years, especially in China, uh, for Westerners, uh, Westerners only, just for Westerners, ultra-modern super cities like you'd never seen before, and other super cities for them. So they will always survive as long as they're in an economic system and as long as everyone in the world accepts that we live in an economic system based on something called money and whatever form it happens to be. Money can be anything at all. I've said that so many times before. But we're also given our new realities for different periods. And that's when it comes to new world orders. As I said, there have been many new world orders, many proclamations from different sources on new world orders. And in the 20th century, the big thing was really the, the culmination of Karl Marx's ideas into Nazism. Yet it came from Marxism, actually. Uh, National Socialism came from Marxism initially, and so did the, the communist um, Soviet system came from Marxism, completely intertwined with it. And really what it wanted to, again, was a planned society where everyone worked together with a common uh, goal, a common purpose, and they would have a, 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 a unified um, technique of engineering all students at school into the same exact same mindset so that there would be no dissension at all between them. When they, wherever they met their own, their own people, they'd all agree on all the same topics all the time, scientifically controlled. Because after all, they said, man's just an animal, and therefore you can train any animal perfectly. And that's what they've been doing uh, our whole lives long. We're trained. We're trained as we go along. We don't even realize that you don't have to use the Pavlovian technique of simply um, shocking you physically, although they can do that as well, certainly with their tasers, but, it, but uh, they don't have to shock the dogs, basically, to train them into a new position in the room. They use, they take over from schooling and they use uh, media, media and crisis. Today we're in the age of crisis creation. Crisis is the fastest, greatest way to get us all panicked so that we all look at each other with our jaws open because we've never experienced this particular crisis before, whether it's real or imaginary or a, a maybe or it could be, uh, it doesn't matter. We all respond the same way. We're threatened and we turn to governments who already have the solutions ready to present to us. And then we go back to entertainment. It's been one crisis after another since 2001. Back with more after these messages.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the the new system coming in. And what they're doing now is changing from the old idea of patriotism. After all, you can only really be patriotic to the land you're sitting on. And the Indians said the same thing when the, when the white men tried to buy their land from them. They didn't know what money was. They couldn't understand the concept of buying land. It was foreign. It was alien to them. And they said, you can't sell your mother. That's where your food comes from. Basically, you survive on the land. And only you can kind of be in charge of the, the areas that you can travel about in. That was really it. And that was used, patriotism has always been used by those who know how to use it at the top for, again, other conquests and to get you into militaries and, and foreign wars and all the rest of it so as they can uh, garnish the, the goodies from other countries for their corporations. The big problem that the UN has is, is creating this new order, this new world order, the true world order, a global order, and, and getting everyone to be kind of new patriotic towards the earth. It's kind of vague to us all. Most will never travel the whole earth. You, you, can't, you can see things on TV, but you can't relate to far-off places and so on. It's just too vague to us, too remote. So it's very hard to be patriotic about it. And the reason they're trying to get us all patriotic about it is because we have to go into the new global scientific economic system with this depopulation program, uh, birth only if they need that particular baby to grow up to serve them in a particular capacity, and all of that kind of stuff. That's really on the cards, folks. So the, what they're going for, really, is the, the middle-class, bureaucratic-type elites. Uh, they've found that they're, they're the easiest to conform to anything that's politically correct. Whoever comes down the pike, they're suddenly very politically correct in those areas. They don't debate things amongst themselves. They want to conform with their own class. And therefore, the class around the world that's like that are all on board and with their websites trying to bring in their own form of class patriotism for the global society. And, of course, obviously their own paychecks and their own personal survival, uh, not to mention a few other things as well. But that's how it really goes. Now, other people who talked about the New World Order were really the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the guys who really planned the League of Nations and then the United Nations. They wrote about it in their own documents, Carl Quigley, I've mentioned many, many times, was, was the official historian for their American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations, a private organization that dictates to government. They have their members all through governments across the world, all working towards this particular type of global governance. They've got their own websites for their own members. And they have their outer party and inner party, exactly the same as Orwell talks about in his book 84. And the public can get access to their external parties' websites, the stuff that you're allowed to, to know about them. And they're all, they're all for this global society, always have been. They helped to set up Adolf Hitler. They helped to set up uh, the Soviet system. And they were the ones who really advocated the setting up of the United Nations, with gradually power being, more power being given to the United Nations over the countries until the countries were no longer sovereign. They wanted a European bloc, 
the same as Karl Marx did, just to, to kick it off. And they also had a division of the Royal Institute for International Affairs-CFR working on the setting up of an Asian-Pacific region, the APEC countries, to, to be amalgamated down the road too, plus the unification of the Americas. Three blocks which would each have a kind of parliament over all of them, which would be a provincial parliament under the global governance system. And Quigley wrote about all of this in his own books, The Anglo-American Establishment. It was a great book, fills in all the blanks in history, documented, very well documented, and also uh, the tragedy and hope. Now, the EU, for instance, the Economic Union, has been uh, the biggest liar from the beginning. It lied to everybody in every country uh, that had anything to do, nothing more to do with, with their affairs than just simple free trade. That's all it said it was going to be about, free trade. And the politicians would sign uh, agreements every year for closer ties, which really is, is code word for integration. And just last week I was on a, a Greek radio station, Radio International Athens, and I was talking about the IMF wanting to come in now and check all the books of the countries. Because, see, the IMF was set up again through the United Nations and the World Bank, again, all part of the world banking system, to eventually oversee these blocks, these trading blocks, uh, books. And they, but they need crisis to do it, crisis to, to, get the, to give themselves the rights to come in and check the books of all countries and start running the economies of countries and cutting back uh, these countries so they can pay back their loans to the, the, the masters, the international bankers. And really, the IMF is just a front for them. Well, here's an article here, for instance, from a European newspaper to show you this is actually what they're trying to do with this, this plan crash. And it says, Madrid plans to strengthen mutual surveillance within the euro area should not mean that countries will be able to veto each other's national budget plans, the Spanish Minister of Finance, Elena Segedo, said on Saturday. Spoken to Madrid as she met with her euro area and EU counterparts to discuss proposals by the European Commission to make sure that the budget crisis has hit Greece, that has hit Greece is not repeated across Europe. Uh, the whole article here is actually uh, designed to allow each country, supposedly, uh, or to stop each country from handling their own national budgets under the guise that they have to uh, let everyone else know what their budgets are, that's your, your borrowing, what your debt is, and all the rest of it. But it's really through the IMF. It doesn't mention that the IMF here, but that's really what's behind it, because the IMF is trying to use this crisis to get the right to go into every country and dictate uh, their, their internal affairs by controlling their expenditures and their borrowing and their budget. That's what the IMF is supposed to do when you're in crisis. Well, they've got the whole world in crisis, and they're using Greece and other countries as an example to start off this process, to make it easier for them to dominate the whole planet, you see. That's what it's about. This, this, this crash did not come on its own. Do you really think you have all these intelligent people, the the most cunning in the planet working in, in economics, they couldn't foresee what was coming down the pike with all these bubbles? And since the, the stock markets always run on bubbles, why would they not just keep it going for another 40 years? If it's all a con job, always was a con job. 
Now, whatever happens today is meant to happen that way, in a crisis format. Same as 2001 happening, bang, the towers go down. It was to be the century of change. How do you kick off a century of plan change? Bingo, it goes, it starts with a bang. That's the hardest thing for people to accept, is that whatever it takes, the end justifies the means. Whatever it takes to get an agenda through, the big boys do it. The big boys do it. We've had horrendous wars in the past, like Vietnam. The tapes are up there now. They're available uh, with McNamara and so on, uh, talking to the, the captains off the Tonkin Bay, uh, pretty well bullying them into trying to say that there were torpedoes fired at them. And yet the Admiral was saying, well, it's, you can't really tell in this kind of weather. You get so many fake readings. Well, they wanted the war. Yeah, they really do kill thousands or millions of people if they need to, to get something done. That's that's why it works so well with them. We, we See, ordinary people who are not psychopaths can't think that way. It'd be a, too abhorrent to you. And because there are people who do think that way, uh, you, 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 will, you will make excuses for them. You will actually make excuses for them if there are people in high places of power. Because you can't relate to a human being doing these things. That's why they always get away with it. That's why they always will. We're turning into a, a vast police state with a planned economy, a planned population size for the future. This doesn't all come at once. It's, it's, it's gradual, 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 but through little laws, little laws, little laws, until you've got so many laws in the books, it's actually working. And we adapt, as Darwin said, we adapt to everything very quickly, adapt or die. And if you're all adapting at the same time, then it's no big deal, no matter what you're going through. It's quite simple. Now, that link I'll put up about the EU, and you can read it through yourself, as they, as they argue about the rights to open their books to all the other countries. But really, as I say, it's to do with the International Monetary Fund that wants to take over the budgets of every nation. And they want to really start with Greece as an example and then use all the other countries as well who are all under the same threat supposedly as Greece is in of going under. And so the IMF wants in to take control of all the economies of the, of, of the whole of Europe. And they won't stop there, obviously. You understand, a planned society means you must plan the events to bring in the society you want. If you let it to chance, there's a a very slim chance it would work out in your direction. You can't leave anything to chance at the top for power. It doesn't work that way. You know, here's some depopulation quotes, and it's from the Sovereign Independent, uh, 29th uh, of uh, December. October last year, I think it was. I'll put this link up too, but it says, it says, society has no business to permit degenerates to reproduce their kind. That was Theodore Roosevelt who said that. The wonderful Theodore Roosevelt. Here's another article, another part here. Malthus has been vindicated. Reality is finally catching up with Malthus. The third world is overpopulated. It's an economic mess, and there's no way they can get out of this with the fast-growing population. Our philosophy is back to the village. 
And that was Dr. Arnie Sheots, World Wildlife Fund Director of Conservation, which he said in 1984. A total world population of 250 to 300 million people, which is a 95% decline from present levels, would be ideal. That was Ted Turner. Turner Enterprises, the big media moguls. The guys that tell you what your points of view should be. And it was an interview with Audubon Magazine, he said that. There's a single theme behind all our work. Very important way of saying it, this, because it's true. In regards to the organizations you're listening to, it's all the same mantra. There is a single theme behind all our work. We must reduce population levels. Either governments do it our way through nice, clean methods, or they will get the kinds of mess that we have in El Salvador or in Iran or in Beirut. Population is a political problem. Once population is out of control, it requires authoritarian government, even fascism, to reduce it. Our program in El Salvador didn't work. The infrastructure was not there to support it. There were just too many goddamn people. To really reduce populations quickly, you have to pull all the males into the fighting. You get wars going. And you have to kill significant numbers of fertile age females. That's what you do in war too. You do that mainly from the air and so on. Or kill zones as they like to call them. The quickest way to reduce population is through famine, like in Africa, or through disease, like the Black Death. That was said by Thomas Ferguson, State Department Office of Population Affairs. Now, do you think these these people um, are just uh, they're just woken up out of their sleep and they're, and they're talking in a dream to you? Do you really think that's what it is? So you, you will make excuses for what you hear, and you should be very, very afraid when these people are in top positions in your governments, as they are in the U.S., as guys like Holdren and all the rest of them behind them are in charge of the U.S. government. And in Britain, too, the Optimum Population Trust and all these unelected organizations sitting on government boards. You better, you better start really taking it seriously, because they are taking it seriously. And then, of course, the big con with global warming came from the, the Club of Rome. They call themselves the premier think tank for the United Nations. And they're really just, uh, the, the guys there also belongs to other organizations, such as the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. But in designing them as the enemy, we fall into the trap of mistaking symptoms for causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it's only through changed attitudes and behaviors that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. But you see, it's not just any humanity. It's it's the ones they don't need for their new system. That was by Alexander, Alexander King and Bertrand Schneiders, who were the founders and secretary, respectively, of the Club of Rome. And they wrote that in their book, uh, the first global revolution in pages 104 to 105, and uh, that was published in 1991. However, they came up with the idea in the 1970s. That's why they changed, by the way, the United Nations from screaming about the coming ice age to the coming warming age. Uh, there's another article, another saying here, cancer is an uncontrolled multiplication of cells. The population explosion is an uncontrolled multiplication of people. We must shift our efforts from the treatment of the symptoms to the cutting out of the cancer. 
the operation will demand many apparently brutal and heartless decisions. Stanford professor Paul Ehrlich, that's the guy who co-authored the book Ecoscience with John Holdren, who's now helping to run the U.S. government in scientific affairs. And that was Ehrlich wrote that in the Population Bomb. And then, of course, uh, Jacques Cousteau, the guy who loved fish. You know, he's a fishy character. Interesting character, too, because uh, Jacques Cousteau, his other brother, uh, was in the Vichy France Nazi movement. He ran the Nazi newspaper during World War II, because really they're all Nazis, these people, in, in a sense. It doesn't matter what you call them. They're elitist uh, supremacists, you might call them. That's what they are, elitist uh, intellectual supremacists that believe they have the right to rule the rest. And he said this, in order to stabilize world population, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. It's a horrible thing to say, but it's just as bad not to say it. He said that in a, a news a magazine interview. And he goes on and on and on. I believe that human overpopulation is a fundamental problem on Earth today, and we humans have become a disease. The human pox, that's Dave Foreman of the Sierra Club and co-founder of Earth First. We're not talking about little little charities here that walk about with tin cans and rent a basement somewhere. It's hard to get the, the impact of this out to the general public because they're caught up in so much hype and daily hysteria from the media, which is intended to keep you that way, off balance, that you don't think straight and you can't see the real enemy coming towards you. Instead, you get distracted. If you're, if you're a general standing on a hill and you're overseeing a battle, you can't be diverted by your casualties over here or over there or way over in the far corner. You've got to see the immediate threat so that you can win the war. We'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, just going to run through a few articles, just just the headlines basically, and I maybe take the caller. Um, the cops now in Britain want to, to sedate suspects, after, I guess after they shock the, the blazes out of them with their tasers, uh, they want the right now to use syringes and stuff and literally sedate you. They'll come into your home and sedate you now, that would be the, the latest thing. And then the police also want more powerful weapons to combat Mumbai-style terror attacks, says the police chief. They're wanting heavy, heavy equipment, heavy weaponry, um, just like they see in the, in the sci-fi movies. Why? Because, remember, we have to go into the age of riots as they start bringing rioting in uh, due to shortages of food and all the rest of it, which will be planned according to the military think tanks. And I've read those articles before from the de- Department of Defense. They envisage... Uh, literally about 30 years of rioting slowly starting and gathering speed until uh, people are rioting all the time. That's that's kind of future they have planned for us, apparently. And that's what they see. That's what they foresee themselves at the Department of Defense. Well, you always got to make sure your military uh, are on side to uh, make sure this system, the same system, and that's really what the flag's all about, folks, to maintain that system that's in power now and always has been to keep them in power regardless of the circumstances or what they're doing to the public. That's what your whole reality really is about, serving the system, maintaining the system with all of its fallacies 
in its clever conditioning, even when they become tyrannical. And that's from the Express, as I say, uh, that what all these heavy, heavy weaponry to, to make sure they can continue and continue. Another article, too, interesting article, they said that uh, there's a lot of fluoride, fluoride spewing out of the volcano in Iceland. It says it's, it's very dangerous toxin and that it uh, destroys bones and teeth, destroys bones and teeth. And then there's one from Mercola talking about the same kind of thing to do with uh, fluoride. And it was published in the Times, apparently listed as a, 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 an envirotoxin and a toc- and very toxic to human health. But it's okay to brush your teeth with it. Isn't that amazing? Eh? And fluoride dumps you down, makes you more compliant and docile. Exactly what every government wants. Hmm. Now there's Robin from Virginia. I don't know if he's still there. Is, is Robin there? Yes, I am. Hi, Alan. How are you? Not too bad. Great. Um, I um, am new to this uh, truth movement and the New World Order and all of that, and um, I've just sort of switched um, and, and broken through the paradigm of the whole left-right fallacy. Yep. Um, but as I put all this together, there's so much information um, out there on the Internet, and I'm just trying to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I've read a lot of stuff about, you know, people, you say and uh, that it's in the, the global elitists, and, and um, I've even re trying to read through Aldous Huxley's book and mm-hmm. get information. But there is a, a, a certain uh, sect out there that's saying that, uh, that all of this is because of the Jesuits, and then there are other... Uh, no, no. No, did I, no. I didn't give any credence to any of that. You can go into the, the, the Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, or go into the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations website, and go into their archives. You'll find those guys that are running the planet. They, they publish it. They've got think tanks uh, and working teams working on every facet of human life across the whole planet. Honestly, that's where you should go. And there's no conspiracy. It's out in the open. That's why H.G. Wells said the same thing. He called it the open conspiracy. And he wrote it in a book called The Open Conspiracy. So you can find it from the official sources. And every top member of government is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations in every country across the world. Thank you. So that's what to do. It's the best place to go. The CFR and the Royal Institute for International Affairs website. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.